Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Sandwiched between the biggest economical, commercialized, and individually celebrated holidays of Halloween and Christmas is the one that is almost completely forgotten. One that our country's forefathers saw as almost as important as the nation itself because they realized its existence was a direct result from God. And if it wasn't for food, football, and Black Friday sales, it would probably almost go unnoticed and skipped altogether, not only by the nation, but by many Christians. God and thanksgiving have become obsolete, almost, in this nation. It's way past time that we stop and just give thanks. Will you bow your heads, please? Our most kind and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for saving us from our sins and for giving us an opportunity of the blessed hope of eternal life with Jesus. Send us your Holy Spirit now to guide us, I pray. And thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought that it would be appropriate to begin by a brief history of thanksgiving in this country. The first recorded thanksgiving celebration was on September 8, 1565, when 600 Spanish settlers under the leadership of Pedro Mendez de Alvils landed at what is now St. Augustine, Florida, and immediately held a mass of thanksgiving for the safe delivery to the new world. The first thanksgiving that most of us think about, one with pilgrims and Indians, was held at Plymouth in 1621. Fifteen years before the pilgrims, came Squanto, a Patuxent Indian, went to England with a friendly English explorer. He returned to New England with that explorer and he resumed his life. Later, Squanto was captured by a British slave trader who raided his village and he was sold somewhere in the Caribbean. He eventually made his way to Spain and then to England where he found his old friend the explorer who returned him to America. When Squanto returned to his village, he found that it was empty because most of the American Indians had been killed by smallpox, the English slavers had left behind. One year later, he was hunting with a friend when he saw people from England living in his village. One look at them, and Squanto knew that the pilgrims were in trouble. In fact, nearly half of them had died during the winter. Instead of holding a grudge against the English, he decided to help them. He taught them how to hunt, fish, plant gardens, and build shelters. And when fall arrived, the pilgrims were prepared for winter. Their gardens had been prosperous their hunting skills refined, and they had homes now to live in. 
the pilgrims decided to have a Thanksgiving Day celebration to celebrate their blessings. During the American Revolutionary War, the Continental Congress appointed one or more Thanksgiving Days each year, each time recommending to the executives of the various states the observance of these days in their states. The first proclamation of Thanksgiving was given by the Continental Congress in 1777, and it began with these words. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, and to implore such further blessings as they stand in need of. A few years later, we have the next Thanksgiving Day celebration. As president, on October 3, 1789, George Washington made the following proclamation and created the first Thanksgiving Day designated by the national government of the United States of America. He began it with these words. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially as affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Thanksgiving in the United States was celebrated hit or miss for the next 74 years. But in the middle of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be celebrated on the final Thursday in November of 1863. Since 1863, Thanksgiving has been observed annually in the United States. Now there are two things that these thanksgivings always had in common. First, they were celebrated after or during a time of great trouble. The other was that they were always centered on giving thanks to God for what he had done. Today, God has almost entirely been erased from thanksgiving. And he has been replaced by parades, football, eating and shopping. It's so easy to do. To forget to say thank you, not only to God, but to each other. Our scripture song this morning was taken from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. And it pointed out that it is God's will that we give thanks in everything. Notice that it didn't say that we are to give thanks for everything, but in everything. This means that whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in, we are to thank God for it. Why? Because God is still in control and he will see us through, no matter what situation we are in. We can always ask for his help, for the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull 
that it cannot hear. But how do we do this? How do we give thanks to God in the midst of our trials? Well, the text gives us that answer also. It says that we are to pray without ceasing. See, it can only be accomplished by a close connection with God. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading verses 20 to 22. Genesis 8, 20 to 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, these shall not cease. Noah has just spent about 12 months on the ark. His home and land have been totally wiped out of existence. His bank account is empty. Virtually all of his old family and friends have been destroyed. The earth he knew in its almost Eden-like beauty when he entered the ark is now gone. Now there was mud, rocks, and devastation everywhere he looked. There isn't even one tree left standing that's not a seedling. What did Noah and his family do as soon as they exited the ark? Did they complain about their loss? Did they start to build themselves houses or some kind of shelter? Maybe they planted a garden so they'd have some food to eat. No, verse 20 tells us that he built an altar and he worshiped God. They had a Thanksgiving Day celebration. Instead of focusing on what they had lost, they chose to give thanks for what they had. And how did God respond to Noah's offering and thanksgiving? It says that it was pleasing to him. And because of it, God made a covenant not only with Noah, but with the entire human race. You see, a thankful heart is contagious. As our thanksgivings overflow to God, those around us cannot help but be affected by it. Now, sometimes it makes them mad when we're thankful during the trials, but often it causes them to stop and think and to look at life with a different perspective. In Acts chapter 16, that's what happened to the Philippian jailer after hearing Paul and Silas singing and praising God while they were in the stocks after being badly beaten. They were thanking God that they had been counted worthy of the privilege of suffering for his name. Everyone in the jail stopped, listened, and wondered. When an earthquake tore open the jail that night, everyone was set free. Now, Paul and Silas didn't hold a grudge or want revenge for the way the jailer had treated them. They could have thought that he deserved to die for the cruelty he had shown to them. 
But not only did they keep the jailer from killing himself, they kept the other prisoners from escaping. Now, how could two badly beaten men who could barely stand restrain a whole prison full of criminals and keep them from escaping? Some of these men were on death row and others were probably in there for life. Why would they stay put? It was because they had seen and heard something different in Paul and Silas. Something that reached down to the very depths of their souls. As the songs of praise and thanksgiving ascend to God, God drew near to them. The prison was changed from a place of suffering and hopelessness to holy ground. For the presence of God was in that place. The prisoners could have had their freedom, but they wanted something even more. They wanted what Paul and Silas had. They wanted a freedom that could never be taken away from them. Freedom that knows that you are safe and free even when in prison or facing death. Now, from a human perspective, Paul and Silas's beating and imprisonment looked like a disaster. Here these guys are doing God's work and look what happened to them. It would have been easy for them to ask, God, where are you? Don't you know that we were doing this for you? You told us to go. You said you would be with us. You said you would protect us. And look what happened to us. But what would have become of the jailer and his family? Not to mention the other prisoners, if they hadn't been abused and ill-treated. What if they had complained and moaned about the injustice of their situation? Souls would probably have been lost for all eternity. You see, the jailer and his whole family were baptized that very night. Their salvation was a direct result of the injustice shown to Paul and Silas. A lot of the time, bad things happen to good people in order that someone else might receive the benefit from their sufferings. All we have to do is look at the cross and we will see that each one of us is a recipient of that type of mercy. When Paul and Silas meet the jailer in heaven, do you think that they're going to say that their trial wasn't worth it? Do you think that they're going to complain to God about the beating they had to endure? I don't think so. No, I think they're going to have a Thanksgiving Day celebration together instead. Later on, when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, could it be possible that it was sent to this very jailer as a new leader of that church? No wonder Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In other words, Always give thanks, no matter what situation you are in. Psalms 107, verse 22, tells us us that we are to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Sacrifice, by definition, means that it is going to cost us something. If the only times that we thank God is when things are going good, 
then we haven't learned the true meaning of thanksgiving. For a true sacrifice of thanksgiving always comes out of adversity, especially when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's called walking by faith and not by sight. In Luke chapter 17, there's the familiar story of the 10 lepers. And in verses 13 to 16, we find them asking Jesus to have mercy upon them. So Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. And while they are on their way, they are healed. Now, how many of the lepers that were healed returned to thank Jesus? One. Do you think that the others were unthankful? No, I'm sure that they were. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be a leper back then? They hadn't seen their families for who knows how long. Society viewed them as being cursed by God. Their religious leaders would have nothing to do with them. They had looked and smelled like death itself. Now they look down at their hands and their feet. And they have fingers and toes where only they had stubs before. Under those circumstances, it would be impossible not to be thankful. So why did they forget to tell Jesus thanks? I don't believe it was an intentional slight. They were caught up in the moment. For the first time in ages, they are whole. There are so many things they want to do that their previous condition prevented. There were family and friends that they hadn't seen for a very long time. In fact, there was a very good chance that some of these people now had children or even grandchildren that they had never seen before. The excitement and the anticipation had their minds so full of things that they wanted, no things that they needed to do that they had forgotten to give thanks to the one who made it all possible. Are we any different? Do good and important things get in the way of the best things? When was the last time that you prayed and didn't ask God for anything? All you did was thank him for all the things that he had done for you. I've tried it, and it's very difficult at least for me. When I'm praying, I find that it doesn't take long before I'm asking God for something. Now, it might not even be something for myself. It might be something that I'm asking for a friend who is sick or another person who is going through some tough times in their lives. These are good things. We should be praying for others. But my, my point is, how much time do we spend thanking God versus asking him for things. How much does God do for us each and every day? And how often is it that we just take it all for granted? Was Jesus upset that these men didn't come back and say thank you? No. Verse 18 tells us what he was concerned about. There it says that they had missed the opportunity to give glory to God and because of that, other people missed out on a blessing. 
Thanking God is one way that helps us to keep things in perspective. All good things come from God, not because of anything special in us, but because God is good, period. Max Licato tells these two stories in his book, A Love Worth Giving. Three decades after a diving accident rendered Johnny Erickson Tata a quadriplegic, she and her husband Ken visited Jerusalem. Sitting in her wheelchair, she remembered the story of the paralytic Jesus healed at the pool of Bethesda. 30 years earlier, she had read that account and she asked Jesus to do the same for her. That day in Jerusalem, she thanked God that he had answered a higher prayer. Johnny now sees her chair as her chair bench and her affliction as her blessing. Had he healed her legs, thousands of prayers would have been sacrificed to her busy life. She sees that now. Jealousy was eclipsed by gratitude as she surrendered her will to his. The second story is about a little girl. At age six, Susie's most treasured possession was a string of pearls. In fact, the fact that they were fake didn't bother her at all. She wore those pearls everywhere. She played with them every day. She loved the pearls. She also loved her daddy. His business often took him away for days at a time. The first day home would always be one of celebration. As an adult, Susie can remember a time he spent a week in the Orient. When he finally returned, the daddy and daughter played all afternoon. As he put her to bed, he asked her this question. Do you love me? Yes, daddy, I love you more than anything. More than anything, he asked. More than anything, she replied. He paused for a moment more than the pearls? Would you give me the pearls? Oh, daddy, she replied. I couldn't do that. I love my pearls. I understand, he told her, and he kissed her goodnight. As she fell asleep, she thought about his question. When she awoke, she thought about it some more. It was on her mind that morning, and later in the day, Finally that night, she went to him with her pearls. Daddy, I love you more than these. Here, you take them. I'm so glad to hear that, he said, standing and opening up his briefcase. He said, I brought you a gift. She opened up the small flat box and gasped. Pearls, genuine pearls. Do you suppose your father wants to give you some as well? He offers authentic love. His devotion is the real thing. But he won't give you the genuine until you surrender the imitations. God withholds what we desire in order to give us what we need. You desire a spouse. He gives you himself. You seek a larger church. 
He prefers a stronger church. You want to be healed so you can serve. He wants you confined so you can pray. Thank God that he puts our need before our wants. Because when we get to heaven, we will see that when he supplied our needs, he also supplied our wants. We just didn't know it at the time. Why did you come to church this morning? In Psalms 100 and verse 4, we're told, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There are many reasons why we came to church. But first and foremost, it is to praise and worship God from a thankful heart. Everything else is secondary. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.